Yeah, so welcome to church. Um, I wanna, I'm on the speaking team. I'm also part of guest services. And I uh, just wanna thank the worship team for ushering us into the presence. Can we thank them? They do such a good job every week. There's challenges that they're dealing with, uh, with sound and they just overcome them all the time. Uh, so yeah, we're thankful for them. We definitely are. We're thankful for Pastor Mike and Rhonda too, right? I want to thank them for this opportunity for me to share with you. Uh, I think they do an awesome job of recognizing strengths in people and then just giving them opportunity to develop those and to use them to serve the kingdom. Um, and so that's, I think that's a skill in itself for them to be able to do that because a lot of times what pastors will do, what I see out there anyway, is they'll try to protect what they've built, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are humble enough to know it's the Lord that builds the house, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm so thankful for them. They are uh, on a much deserved short sabbatical. Um, can you imagine all the things that they went through to lead us through all of the stuff that we've experienced in the last couple of years? I mean, it started with, there was riots one summer, remember that? Yes. And then we had everything that went along with the... Uh, uh, COVID? No. Well, COVID too, yeah. Um, but I'm talking about the election. I mean, that was, there was a lot of turmoil there too. Uh, and then COVID, obviously. And in the middle of all of that uncertainty, God leaned into them and said, hey, re remember that church that you wanted to build for 20 years? Right. In, the, in all the uncertainty. And he said, now's the time. And they were obedient, and they did it. Yes. And here we are. Amen. So I'm so thankful for them. Um, also, before I get started, I want to recognize Angie Gergen for uh, everything that she taught us and brought us over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Very, very good job. Um, she just has an incredible gift to galvanize people and to get people to lock arms and uh, go forward and just take take ground for the kingdom. And I was fishing with one of my sons-in-law a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember if it was the good-looking one or the athletic one or the really <laughs> wise one, or, but it was one of them. And he was mentioning that exact thing, and I thought, yeah, you know, I paused and said, I'm more like the guy, the annoying coach who just keeps blowing the whistle until the team gets it right, right? <laughs> Tweet, do it again, you can do it, oh, come on, do it again. And so I'm going to try to soften that a little bit. And, uh, but she said I could bring the fire. So maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just bring it, right? <laughs> so it's going to be fun. I am super excited about what God has laid on uh, my heart. Um, and I also want to welcome everybody. Welcome to all the members, guests. Um, welcome to people online. If there, if there are people online with us this week, uh, welcome. I'm excited. So how is everybody doing today? Awesome. Good. Are we ready to hear the word, filled with the Spirit, ready to go? Okay, well, let's pray and ask God's blessing on the rest of the service today. Lord, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you've, you've brought each one of us here for a reason, for a purpose, and that everything that we need is found in you. In your presence, nothing is missing, nothing is broken. We believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has settled in this place on all of us today for everything that we need. So we look to you, Lord, for, uh, for wisdom. 
Um, I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me. I ask, Lord, that bondages would be broken with the truth. And, Lord, that uh, you would just bless us with your presence where nothing is missing and nothing is broken for the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, we're working on a series this summer entitled, I Was Wondering. And the title of this message is, I Was Wondering, Are We in the End Times? What are the signs of the end times? And we'll talk about a lot of scripture. Is it okay if we read a lot of scripture today? Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through the end of the chapter uh, is something that I've been focused on. And especially verse 58. I think it's a message for us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And he's talking to people about uh, end times. So if that's where we are, then this is a message to us, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So uh, the, in the past, several years ago, I always resisted studying end times because to me, it seemed like there was a lot of abstract things and you know, different things said to different people, and how do I know what happens when? I like to, I like to have things on a timeline, and I just couldn't understand it. Uh, but I was not rightly dividing the word of truth. And there are many Bible uh, scholars that have studied the end times for 30 years, even more, and they don't all agree on all of the details. And that's okay. So I thought, well, how can I even understand anything and be able to teach anything about the end times? But, you know, the discovery is the challenge and the enjoyment of searching out the scriptures and asking Holy Spirit to illuminate the word and how he can line it up and how he can speak to us each individually through the word when we open it. So that's the enjoyment. And Proverbs 25, 2 says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. Amen. So that's the fun of it. And that's what we're going to do today. And Paul told Timothy, getting back to, some people don't agree on every detail about this. Paul told Timothy to avoid foolish, ignorant, immature disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So we're not gonna concentrate on uh, you know, where the disagreements lie, we're going to uh, just look to the word and see what the word says to us about it. So the important thing too is that, you know, not that we are able to win an argument, right? The important thing is that we know what the word says. And the important thing is what do we do with it? So we're right, okay, great. But what do we do with it? How do we affect other people's lives? And how can we maximize the effectiveness uh, of our lives for the kingdom? Amen. So. You know, I'm, we're going to get encouragement from the word. How many of you, if you didn't know Jesus, would be depressed right now right. with all the junk going on? But praise the Lord. Um, this also, this message, I believe, will create in us a sense of urgency, and it's an evangelistic tool to help save the lost. So here's a little historic context. The Bible teaches that Jesus will return to earth a second time. Amen? Amen. Each of the four Gospels have references about Jesus coming. Jesus' disciples fully expected that he was going to set up a kingdom on earth when he was here. And that's what they, I mean, that was their paradigm. 
they, they served every day thinking he's going to take the throne anytime and we're going to serve with him. We're going to reign with him. And the phrase, the sign of the times, this series title refers to the things that the Bible says will happen prior to the second coming. And when he comes back to rule as King Jesus, this is sometimes ignored by the church as a whole, unfortunately. Uh, but I think the church is waking up about this and starting to see, you know, it's not too far off. So 23 of the 27 New Testament books discuss end time events. And the Bible is our foundation again. And we, um, when we study it, we see that it tells us not to ignore end time events. So what is the next end time event? It's the rapture of the church. That's the next big prophetic event on the Bible timeline. We can have an idea of how close it is by seeing the events that happen after it. It's similar to this. In a couple months, we're going to hear lots of Christmas music and there's going to be lots of marketing for Christmas, right? And it starts yeah. earlier and earlier every year. Well, it's going to really ramp up around October into November. But what do we know before Christmas? What happens before Christmas? There's Thanksgiving. So as we hear more and more and more about Christmas and more music and more marketing and uh, things like that, we know Thanksgiving is going to come first. So if end times, and I say that meaning uh, the end times events like the tribulation, the second coming and, and those kind of things, if we know they're coming and we know the rapture comes prior to that, we know that it's going to be coming very soon or at least before the tribulation happens. So it's important that we know that. Uh, and why do we study it? We study its importance because the Bible tells us to. There's three reasons why we do this. One is obedience. We want to be obedient to what it says. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he said, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. What are we watching for? We're watching for the more birth pains, and uh, the end time events getting closer and closer. Mm -hmm. So we're, we are to watch. Luke says in Luke 21, 28, now when these things happen or begin to happen, he says, look up and lift up your heads because your, redem your redemption draws near. Look up, he said. And Paul in Titus 2, 15 says, when he's talking about the end times, he says, speak these things, exhort, rebuke, with all authority and let no one despise you. That's a command. Amen. So we do it to be obedient. We do it because it's encouraging. Hebrews 10.25 says, Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we'll be able to see the day approaching. We won't be in the darkness. Right. Right? We're not people of darkness. And what would be encouraging if we are to encourage each other? What would be encouraging? If you know anything about the tribulation, the encouraging thing is the church will not go through it. Right. Amen. Amen. That's encouraging to me. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 9 says, for God did not appoint us to wrath. He's right. speaking to the church. So comfort each other and edify one another. Also, this is straight from Jesus. I love this. In, in Revelation 3.10, he says this to the church at Philadelphia. So to the church, he says... I will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. We will be kept from that hour of trial. Amen. And one more from Jesus. Here's some encouragement. When 
Uh, and this is in John 14, uh, when the disciples were asking him to explain more about the uh, end times. The very first thing he said in John 14:1 is, let not your heart be troubled. That's encouraging. Don't let your heart be troubled. So we study it for obedience and encouragement and blessing. There is a special blessing. There are special promises that God makes to the church in the end of the days because we are his what? We are his bride. He calls us friends and we are sons and daughters. We are in his family. So he tells us there's a blessing for us. Revelation 1, 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. God specifically tells us to pay attention to this book. And seven times, so we're, we're being blessed right now, whether we know it or not. Yes. We're being blessed. Yeah. Seven times he tells the church in Revelation 2, 3, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what he is saying to the church. We have ears to hear, and we obey, and we're going to utilize and implement and study this for not only our blessing, but so that we can expand the kingdom, right? Right. So here's the whole conclusion to the series. It's a little risky for me to do this. Do you, if I give you the conclusion, do you promise to come back and, and listen and help me connect the dots? Yes. Because you got the intro, you got the why, you got the what. There was even a disclaimer if you were listening. It was in there. <laughs> But here's the conclusion. Time is short. Yes. Yes. That's the whole conclusion. Time is short. Amen. Time is short to accomplish our mission as the church. Because of the end of the age, yes. Many people say we have a little time. Time is short. But let's, let's have you put a, an amount of months that are left or years. So if you were to believe the rapture would come, soon and it was in x amount of months and you pick the time you pick the number or years would there be anything different in your thought process would you think differently would you act differently would you um would anything change in your schedule would your priorities shift a little if we knew he was coming back in blank months or next year or before the end of this year it's just a question because the time will come, the end will come, and we need to be ready. Even if you don't really agree, even if we're not jiving on exactly the timing, let's put this aside for a minute and think of how short our lives are, right. how little energy really we have at the end of the day or the end of the week, and how we need to prioritize. Um, Peter says that when he quoted Isaiah 40, he said, because all flesh is grass. And all glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. So he's saying our lives are short. They're but a vapor. They're quick. They, it's like the, the grass that grows up in flowers and then it's, it goes away. So depending on your perspective, either way, we don't have a lot of time. We need to be found faithful. There is urgency. Peter said, and you know, I take care of, this tent, Peter calls it, I take care of it, but I know I'm gonna to have to lay it down like he said. Soon, he said, I'm gonna to have to lay down my tent. So are we, yes. each one of us are. Yes. So there is a sense of urgency so that we can accomplish our mission. 
And I believe, church, that we're in the home stretch of a race. Has anyone ever ran track or ran a race, a 5K or mm -hmm. a mile or even, I don't know, 100 yards? <laughs> when you see the finish line, what does that mean? It means it's time to kick, right? Yep. Do you have a kick? Yep. Church, do we have a kick? Do we have gas left in the tank? Yep. We don't want to check out of here with gas in the tank. We want to burn it all up right now. We want to go. We want to sprint. We want to run. Does anybody have that type of word for their life for this year? Any sprint, any run, any now, now's the time, let's go, anything like that? Mm -hmm. There should be, and I think there is. One of the things a coach does too when they're putting together uh, a relay team, if you've ever ran a relay team, they put the fastest person in the anchor leg, don't they? The fastest person goes in the anchor leg. So we are the anchor leg, church. Amen. We're the anchor. We can see the finish line. We need to run. We need to sprint. And I know this church is a hardworking church. There's no doubt about it. I'm speaking to the church as a whole, not only our body, but I believe this needs to be our message uh, to all church people, to all Christ followers. This is the message. And it's funny because... You know, football teams, they have different offenses that they run at the end of the game. Basketball teams, too, it's called clock management. You know, before the end of the half, before the end of the, uh, the game. And they have it down to such a science. Even guys like me sitting on the couch watching the game, we know, hey, call a timeout. Or, you know, spike the ball, stop, stop the clock. Or we've got to throw passes now to the, to the sidelines. So when we catch it, we can stop, stop the clock. So they have it down to a science. I wonder if the church is even paying attention to the, the end times clock that's ticking down. Right. God has a clock and it's ticking down. But this church is awake. Amen. Amen? This church is awake. I don't have any question about that. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time or making the most of the time. So we need to make the most of our time. I mentioned that uh, I used to get a little bit frustrated looking at end times because it was so abstract and, and different, uh, but it was because I didn't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. If we are to rightly divide the word of truth about end times, especially this topic, we need to know who is speaking to whom, uh, what it's about, is it past events, is it future events? Uh, does it jive with the rest of the word? So there are three distinct people groups that I want to bring up quickly um, and categories, three categories that everybody falls into. One is the Jews. They are related by blood. They're born into the Jewish bloodline. And it's the bloodline that, G, uh, that, God, took, that God chose to bring their Messiah, our Savior, into the world through. Second is the Gentiles. They're born outside of the Jewish bloodline. And in the Old Testament, the Gentiles are also called the nations. Uh, in the New Testament, I believe there's reference to the Greeks also talking about the Gentiles. So that's, there's two different groups. The third group is the church. And the church is any Jew, any Gentile that receives Jesus uh, free payment for their sin and um, allows him to be the Lord of their life. So if we're to talk about, um, you know, how that happens or being a Christian or who is the church and to find it a little bit better, 
A Christian simply means, and this is important, uh, he or she is a true believer. Some say that because America is primarily Christian means that I'm a Christian. Or I go to church, I warm up the seat every week, I must be a Christian. No, I've, I've heard this saying before, and I'll see if I can get it right. Sitting in church and warming your seat doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. I think that's kind of funny. So a Christian is a follower of Christ with evidence that he has made a difference in their life. What is that evidence? It's love. Jesus said that we will love one another and that's how people will know that we are his disciples. So Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Savior meaning that they have accepted Jesus' death and burial and resurrection as a personal sin payment to God their Father and Lord being he is on the throne of each of our lives. He is the one making decisions. He's the one directing what we do. He's the one scheduling our calendar. And the church is a gathering of Christians, right? It's the ecclesia. It's all Christ followers, no matter where they go to church, no matter where they gather. It's the church as a whole. It's the assembly. Um, it's, it's what Jesus talked about when he said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church, which was a completely foreign concept to Peter. But it's the ecclesia, the assembly. So these distinctions are very important because all of these people groups are going to be treated differently, uh, and some very differently, uh, during the same events of the last days. So here are uh, a couple of these events. In church, we are in the last days. There's no question about that. Even Peter in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, said, because the Spirit had been poured out on all flesh, he quoted the prophet Joel and said that they were in the last days. So when Peter says that they are in the last days, that was the beginning of the last days. We are in the end of the last days. So Peter's, uh, Peter's time at Pentecost was the beginning of the church age, and today now we're here at the end of the church age. So here are some events that make up the end of the age. First is the rapture of the church, then the tribulation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, these are in no particular order, <laughs> and then the Antichrist is revealed, the great tribulation, second coming of our Lord Jesus, the millennial reign of King Jesus, the Bema Seat Judgment, and the Great White Throne Judgment. We're going to talk about as many of these as we can get to. But the main thing, again, is let's obey Scripture and let's study it and let's apply it to our lives. So which event should we start with? I picked the Tribulation because it is big and it is scary. There's no question. And I don't mean to make light of it uh, because I'm smiling. It's scary. It's frightening. Uh, it's terrifying, in fact. The general definition of tribulation is affliction, agony, anguish, distress, excruciation, torment, travail, woe, misery, pain. How's that sound? Sounds scary. Unfortunately, these are some of the things that we experience 
Christians experience today. Us, not so much in America, but there are, uh, you know, people that live in other countries that are being persecuted. They might, they might think they're in tribulation. It is tribulation. Uh, and this is the reason, since we as Christians experience this sometimes, we need to be prepared for it. We also need to prepare our kids. You know, protect them, yes, but allow them to go through some things so that they can develop the strength to meet challenges that they're going to meet, regardless of being a Christian or not. So, some of the things that it is called, uh, it's the day of judgment, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, the great and terrible day of the Lord, or the wrath of the Lamb. So that's the tribulation that the Bible speaks of, and it has a very specific starting event, has a very specific ending event. So I was happy to learn that. <laughs> now the tribulation has seven seal judgments, seven bowl judgments, and seven trumpet judgments. I'd love to do a deeper dive on this, but uh, you know we don't have a lot of time. And there are books and many sermon series written about just one of these. Uh, for example, Billy Crone has a 350-page-plus book on the seven seals, just detailing what the seals are, what the colors mean, what the horses mean, what the riders are. Uh, so it's very, very interesting. Um, but I'll just mention a couple things real quick. One, the Antichrist is revealed. And what starts the tribulation is the Antichrist makes a treaty, a peace treaty, with Israel. That's what kicks it off. In Revelation 6-2, uh, the first seal is opened, and the Antichrist is revealed on a white horse. He's the rider. He also has a bow and a crown. And what does that look like? That might A white horse with a crown, that might look like Jesus, right? But he is given the power to deceive people. He goes out and conquers. He goes out conquering and to conquer, deceiving people. So we need to know what the word says. Revelation 6-2. I'm sorry. Uh, a quarter of the population is killed within the first four seal judgments. A quarter of the population. Uh, they are they're killed by wars, famine, and death. And specifically in the fourth seal, it's the sword, hunger, death, and beasts of the earth. Imagine that. If you do the math on that, and let's just say, I don't know if all of those are proportional. You know, if, if as many as are going to die... Uh, because of hunger as are going to die from beasts of the earth. But uh, if you do the math, there's around 8 billion people on the earth today. Projections say about a billion people will be raptured. And that leaves 7 billion. And if you uh, multiply that by 25% or a quarter of mankind, that's 1.7 billion people will die in the first four judgments. 1.7 billion. That means if you divide that by four, the four ways to die, 421 million will die of hunger. Can you imagine? That's, that's if it's proportional. Also, if it's proportional, 421 million people will die of beasts of the earth. <laughs> that's crazy. So imagine, I don't know what it's going to look like in Minnesota. I don't think pets are going to turn on people, but uh, there's going to be a famine. Everybody's going to be hungry. They're going to be hungry. Um, wolves. We have wolves. We have bears. We have uh, coyotes. I mean, pack animals. Who knows? I don't know how this is going to be. All I know is the word says uh, that a quarter 
of the population will be killed by those four ways. And then quickly, there's uh, locusts that come out, out of the smoke. And those locusts are given, uh, well, they're limited. They can't, they can't eat the grass and destroy the grass. They can't uh, destroy the trees or the vegetation. What they do have power to do is to torment uh, people because they're given the power to sting them like a scorpion would sting them. So can you imagine a flying scorpion type insect that flies around stinging people? Well, they're tormented. They torment people for five months and the people will seek death, but they won't find it. They will desire to die. That's how bad it'll be. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. And then later, a third of the population is killed in the, uh, the sixth trumpet. That's Revelation 9:18. Three plagues kill another third of mankind. Doesn't sound good. Amos says this, and then we'll move on. In verse 5, Amos 5, starting in 17, he says, What sorrow awaits you who say, If only the day of the Lord were here. If only the end were here. What sorrow awaits you? You have no idea what you were wishing for. This is the um, New Living, I believe, standard. You have no idea what you're wishing for. The day will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion, only to be met by a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against the wall of his house, and he is bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless, without a ray of joy or hope, but not for us. And, you know, preppers, there's no way to prepare for this. There's no way that you can be prepared and think, oh, it'll be okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. I got, you know, all the food, I've got guns, and I know how to put meat on the table. So do I, but I'm not, I do not want to be here at this time. But you know the funny thing, even after all those things happen, there are still many people who refuse to repent. So for whom is the tribulation and why? These scripture tell the story. I'm going to read in Daniel 9, uh, starting at verse 3. And I'm going to skip around a little bit. But this is Daniel seeing the tribulation, wondering uh, why this happened. How, how Israel is being judged so harshly. And then he, he does get the answer. So in verse 3, he said, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps this covenant and mercy, uh, or keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Down to verse 8. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 10. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, so he just chronicled the things that they had done and the sins that they committed and walking away from God's law. Therefore, the curse and the oath 
written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he goes on and there's another therefore, but you get the idea. So who, who is the tribulation for? Is for the Jews. And why? It's because they transgress God's law. Not in it's for their sin and it's for not following his destruction or instructions on how to properly steward the land and for rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. It's also to compel the Jews to bring them back. Many will become tribulation saints. Many, uh, many Gentiles will become tribulation saints. Many Jewish people will become tribulation saints. And possibly hundreds of millions. Can you imagine after the rapture? What might happen to people that have heard the gospel message before and knew it was coming but didn't do anything about it can you imagine i pray that hundreds of millions of them hit their knees and uh you know give their lives to the lord at that time but why does he have to put them through all this wrath and it's it's his love it's his mercy to compel them to come back to him otherwise they wouldn't do it none of them would at least this way he has the remnant and he brings them back in. So here's the events that uh, led to the wrath of God in the tribulation in Revelation. And we just talked about Israel turned from God. And Ezekiel said that there will be punishment for that. God said, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord. I will make you pass under the rod. That's like a rod of inspection. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. So he's bringing them back in. Uh, the next event is what determines the timing of the judgment. Just as they were commanded to rest on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, every seven years they were commanded to let the land rest. That's called the Shemitah cycle. And uh, in Leviticus 25.4, it's also called the Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. And every seven Sabbaths of years, which is 49 years, there shall be a year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Which is the year to proclaim liberty throughout the land. Ownership was restored and debts were forgiven, but they were greedy. They didn't let the land rest. They didn't trust God to provide enough in the six years to carry them through that seventh year. Then the Lord promised to bring Israel through a specific 490 year judgment for rejecting God and not allowing the land to rest. Daniel 9:24 says, 70 weeks of years are determined for people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, 69 of those 70 weeks of years have already happened. And there's one week of years remaining. This is Gabriel speaking for God in Daniel 12, 1. He said, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation. And he's referring to that final week of judgment, the, uh, the seven years of the tribulation. So God in his mercy called Israel together as a nation in 1948 to fill to fulfill a prophecy prior to the tribulation. This is one of the huge things that we see. Remember, we know Christmas is coming and we saw God be merciful and call his people to become a nation in 1948. 
And this is the prophecy. It's John, uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land I have given their fathers, and they shall possess it. So God set up a situation where we could even witness it. We, the anchor leg of this race, Amen. could witness things like this. Our generation uh, can witness uh, God bringing Israel back into um, into being, into a country in 1948. And now we see him set things up uh, for the tribulation so that he can woo them back. Amen. That's yes. exciting. Amen. So the tribulation is a time when God will miraculously show his faithfulness to his Jewish people in order to win them back to himself, and some he will. Not all. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 says, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it, and I will bring, listen to God's heart in this, I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one of them, that's a key, each one will say, the Lord is my God. Amen. That is the purpose of the tribulation. Amen. That's the mercy of God. Yes. So just briefly learning about the origin and the purpose of the tribulation, can we see now why the church doesn't need to go through that? Right. The church really has nothing to do with that old covenant. The church wasn't around. It's a specific covenant judgment for the Jews who rejected their Messiah. God is good. But here's some good news. Good news. What is it? It's the rapture of the church. That's us. It's for the people that hear his voice. The rapture, here's a definition that I'll read, is an event where all that have put their trust in Christ, both living and deceased, be suddenly caught up from earth, be joined in the air, and be taken together to heaven. Paul describes this rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The rapture is a catching away. All right, it's Jesus catching the church away and bringing them, bringing it, bringing his bride to his father's house. The question is when, and the question is how many or who is going? And the answer to the when is, from my perspective, the answer to the when is before the tribulation. The answer to the who is all true believers, everyone that is a follower of Christ, and everyone who can hear his voice. Those are who will respond when he says, come up, come up here. So two real quick, uh, these, two real quick passages. These are the most direct passages in the, in the word, I believe, and the, the easiest for me to understand what the rapture is going to look like. And they're found in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, where Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We believers shall not all sleep. That means a lot of us are going to be alive. Probably millions, up to a billion, are going to be alive. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And this all happens 
I think I've heard in a 40th of a second, I don't know how fast that is, but it's fast. It's not enough time for someone to recognize it and then make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the decision needs to be made now. Um, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we will go and we will meet him in the air or in the clouds, some versions say. Another easily understand verse is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is going to be, and I love that he comes himself. He comes back himself. He doesn't send the messenger or somebody, hey, go get my church. He comes himself and we meet him in the air. I love that. With the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God it is going to be loud. I think I think there's going to be an earthquake. I don't, it's just what I think. I don't find that in the word anywhere. But imagine the, the volume when, when, when the voice like an archangel, or when he says, hey, come up here, when the trumpet sounds, it is going to be loud. You know, the sad thing is that many won't hear. It'll be the same event, two different people groups. The church will hear it if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, I don't think you'll hear it. I, I really don't. And I look at uh, Daniel, Daniel 10, uh, when, when Gabriel appeared to Daniel, he was with a group of people. He was the only one that saw the vision. He's the only one that heard Gabriel speak. But the others uh, were fearful. The others were terrified. They knew something was going on, but they didn't hear what Daniel heard, and they fled. So that's why I pray that when the rapture happens, the people left will fall to their knees and ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life instantly. And I really believe that's going to happen. All right. More good news about the rapture. And I think it's, it's you know, the Jewish wedding is a type. Uh, it's a type of um, illustration between Jesus and his bride, his church. Uh, and there's a lot of types and shadows. There's a lot of representations of what's really happening in the spirit by what is explained here. And I think the Jewish wedding is one of them. This is their tradition. Often the Jewish marriage would be arranged or even negotiated, but the wife in every case would need to give consent. We are the bride. The wife needs to give consent. And there is a betrothal ceremony where the groom travels from his father's house to the home of his prospective bride. Then a bridal price is paid. It's called the mohar. The purchase price, and it's usually money. Uh, sometimes it can be a service, but it's usually money. Uh, both the bride and groom then, when the bride consents, will drink from a cup of wine and a blessing is said over them. And it's considered then that they are legally married, but the bride remains at her father's house. And then the groom goes back to his father's house to prepare a place for them to live. Here's how Jesus fulfilled all of these things. Jesus traveled from his father's house in heaven to our house on earth. He paid the bridal price. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And also 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you were bought with a price. Both the bride and groom drink from a cup of wine. This is 
the communion is a symbol of this. The communion wine is symbolic of the covenant that Christ obtained his bride through. And we remember his death until he comes. Yes. And his death was the bride price that he paid for us. They're considered to be legally married. Now we are sanctified and set apart from him. Ephesians 5, 6 says, 26 says that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. And then the groom goes back to his father's house to prepare a place. He told the disciples that's exactly what he's doing in John 13 and 14. And we saw him or they saw him go back to his father's house in Acts 1, 1 through 9. This is when Jesus ascended to his father's house. So he's been gone a couple thousand years. He's preparing a place for each one of us. So after, uh, after some time when he prepared the room in the father's house, they lived in, then the groom comes back for his bride at a time not exactly known to the bride. And then there was a wedding ceremony. Now the groom returns for his bride, usually accompanied by escorts, and the time is not usually known in advance, and there was lots of noise, lots of celebration when he was coming back. And then she would hear him and be ready. She had to be ready at all times because she didn't know when he was coming back. Um, so his arrival was announced with a shout, and we've already read 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, when the Lord comes back and there's going to be a trumpet, it's going to be the voice like an archangel. Um, and then after being whisked away from, the, from her home, the Jewish bride remains hidden in the groom's father's house for at least seven days. And her veil remains on. Similarly, the church will remain hidden for a period of seven years. There is no mention in the church, of, there's no mention of the church after Revelation 3 until later. So there's no mention of the church during the tribulation time. After seven days, the Jewish bride left the bridal chamber unveiled. And likewise, after at least seven years, the church will be, will return to earth with Christ in full view of all. That's exciting. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm so encouraged. We don't have to go through that. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Are you invited? I have news for you. You're invited. Everybody's invited. The question is, are you accepting the invitation? What are we doing with that? What are we doing with the invitation? So I'm going to close. Is everybody still doing good? Yeah. A couple more minutes. Yep. Did you know that the most recurrent warning i had to look that word up in the bible is do not be deceived that's the warning that happens most often do not be deceived in matthew 24 when the disciples asked jesus about the end uh, another thing that he said in matthew 24 was take heed that no one deceive you that's the very first thing do not be ignorant paul must have said that i don't know how many times many times so don't be deceived and do not be ignorant are two of the things uh, that we need to be aware of and I think the enemy right now is fighting a two-front battle um, on deception I really believe that he's fighting a battle against Christians and he's trying to get them confused trying to he knows he can't he can't get our salvation and take that away but if he can confuse us if, if he can get us to turn from the right to the left and 
you know, not know what our purpose is or not know, not know how to interpret things that are going on, he knows we won't be going forward, right? And if he can, if he can keep the veil over the eyes of the world, he knows that he will keep them lost, right? So here's, here's kind of what it looks like to me. I think uh, the veil over the eyes of the unchurched is ignorance and uh, it's deception or distraction for the church. So, you know, one of the things that shows me ignorance that the world is, is under is they can stand straight faced and look and say, it is okay to kill babies in the mother's womb because that's health care for the mom. Nobody, nobody that knows the truth can say that. Um, the church might be over here saying, um, you know, the rapture isn't going to happen because we haven't seen the rapture and everything is going on the same, just like it was when, uh, you know, when forever. And they said it was going to happen in 1988 and then it was going to happen in the 90s. And that has nothing to do with going forward, knowing the word and doing what we need to do as a church. Amen. Amen. I mean, there's many things. Another thing could be, you know, the bigger the government, the better. All we have to do is relinquish our freedoms and our rights and the government will take care of us from cradle to grave. They would never take advantage of us. Have you heard that? <laughs> or, you know, there's, there's Christians that some say I've heard recently, and this blows my mind. They might say, well, the earth might be flat. You know, I saw this video that was really compelling and it was interesting. And the moon landing was a farce and 9-11 uh, was an inside job, which all might be true, but it has nothing to do with what we are to be doing with our time and energy. Amen. Right. Yeah. Amen. Let's keep let's keep going forward. I mean, you could talk about education, you know. And I'm so glad that we have two people that are running for uh, school board. That is so awesome. This is not us. That's not us either. There's so many more things that we could talk about, but the point is, this church is not going to be deceived. This church is not going to be ignorant, right? Right. Amen. We are going to occupy until he returns. We're going to occupy. We're going to take. Uh, we're going to take ground. And here's another thing. Uh, I mentioned there are. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? What, Angie, what are you? Galvanizer. Galvanizer. Yes. <laughs> I, I I never even can think of the word. That's how, how little I have. <laughs> but there are galvanizers and listen church when we hear galvanizers go hey this is what we need to do let's lock arms and do it we need our ears to perk up and go yeah that's right we do need to do that we need to lock arms and move forward because jesus said on this rock i will build my church and what the gates of hell will not prevail against it amen, amen? Yeah. the gates of hell are a defensive mechanism the gates of hell are not going to come at you and overtake you. Amen. You, we have to go through. When we are moving forward and come up to the gates of hell, we just knock them over. Amen. We just keep going. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. If we realize how small they are, I think we would just go like this. Really? So we need to listen. We need to know. We need to keep moving forward. And I love Mike's, uh, Pastor Mike's, uh, saying, if you fall, fall forward and get back up. Well, you can't fall forward if you're not moving forward, right? We don't want to just stand still and fall straight down or worse yet,
be in sin or our old ways and fall backwards. We want to be moving forward. Amen. Amen. We'll Amen. occupy. We will not be distracted by the wiles of the enemy. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team up. And would everyone stand with me, please? Do not be ignorant. Do not be deceived. Do you have the spirit of truth in you to discern right from wrong? Have you invited him in? Have you received the free gift of salvation from Jesus who is offering it to you? Are you consenting to the invitation? Do we know right from wrong, black from white? He's in you to help recognize deception. Do we have enough word in us to know, you know what, that's deception. Do we have enough word in us for the Holy Spirit to work with and go, you know what, you know, when you hear that, you know that's deception. That's not right. Do you have enough word in you? Do you have the spirit of truth in you? They work together. So, John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and whatever, and he will tell you things to come. That's a blessing. So if you haven't done that yet, if you want to answer the call, if you want to say yes to the invitation, you can do that right now with a short prayer. And we can all pray this together. You can just repeat after me. And if you mean it, you will have that, uh, that free gift. The Spirit of the living God, the creator of the earth, Lord of heaven and earth, will come and live inside you. Let's all pray this together. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. open the door to my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Please take control of the throne of my life. Live your life through me, Lord Jesus. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. 